please uh, grab your Bibles again and turn to Mark 13. We're going to look at verses 13, uh, 14 through to 27 today. Mark chapter 13, beginning at verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those in those who, woe to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter for in those days there will be tribulation such as, as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time nor ever shall be and unless the Lord had shortened those days no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake whom he chose he shortened the days. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, here the, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and prophets will, will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming, with the cl- coming in the clouds with, the power, with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, as we study your word together now, we ask, Lord God, that you would grant us wisdom and insight. There are so many opinions that we have perhaps read or formed ourselves regarding this, yet, Lord God, we pray that we would be humble before you, that your spirit might grant us good understanding, that we might be encouraged to live for you in all the days that you bless us with life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, picking up today, another part of the reason it was unfortunate being sick last week is this follows on exactly from where we left off uh, two weeks ago at the end of Mark 13, verse 13. And what we saw there, we see Jesus describe the signs of the end of the age. Uh, Verses 3 to 13 of this chapter, uh, they they contain some pretty heavy things that are going to happen. Uh, Things are going to happen to people just all across the world and things that are going to happen specifically to Christians. The first 13 verses of this chapter are not a a light read if we're taking this seriously. Of course, we we had that that moment of the lifeline at the end of verse 13. We're told that the one who endures will be saved. God's promise to his people is that they will be saved. And we know that the Holy Spirit allows us to endure all the sorts of things that Christ spoke about were going to come. In those passages, in those verses. So when we get to verse 14, we just keep rolling with these uh, end times things, things that are going to happen in the future for Israel after Christ would say this, and things that are yet to happen even from today as well. 
So there's a whole bunch more for us to get into. Uh, some of you might have seen the, uh, that movie Mulan. Well, let's get down to business. That's what we're going to do now. Great song, that one. So diving in to here, we, uh, we pick up with what is a very clear reference back to the prophet Daniel. Jesus begins in verse 14 for us today by reminding us that he is not making any of these things up. These are things that God has been telling his people about for a significant amount of time. This is why we read Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 to 6 both today and a fortnight ago as our supplementary reading. Now if you're hoping for something a little bit lighter this week than last week, we we do get these words in verse 14 where we begin reading about the abomination of desolation. Now those aren't the most uplifting, bubbly words that we're going to read, are they? They're words of fairly fairly significant weight. What we read today shows us how horrible the events that signify the end times are going to be. We've seen wars, earthquakes, famines, troubles. We've seen the persecution that Christ mentions for Christians earlier in this chapter. And it seems to be culminating now in bringing about the great tribulation. And when it happens, if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. Don't stay. Don't try and sort this out. Flee to the mountains. Run for your life. If you're on the roof of your house, when these things happen, they're going to come with such quickness and severity. Don't go down into your house to get your things. Go. Flee. If you're working out in the field, you will not have time to go home and grab spare clothes. Just run. Get out with what you've got. There is something big coming, is what Jesus tells his people. It's what he's saying in verses 14 to 16. There is a big event on the way. It is so big, I think the description I once heard of this as being a world-shattering event is quite accurate. We see here troubles such as have not been seen since the beginning of of the creation. I think it's a band, R.E.M., definitely not a Christian band, wrote a song a few years ago called It's the End of the World as We Know It. And I repeat that line a couple of times in the chorus, and it says, the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We might have that picture. It's just all ending. It's going to be fine. What we see here with these signs of the end times is very different than what these artists sing. I don't think the Bible was their guiding light for writing that song. There's things spoken about here. I'm not going to have people walking around saying they feel fine. It's a note of caution. It's a note of severity. Look at verse 17. Tell me you don't feel the wrenching in your gut as you read that. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days.
Jesus is using graphic and drastic language here for us to understand the severity of the things to come. A bunch of commentators agree that this verse, verse 17, is there to show that this is an accumulative hardship that just gets worse. Now, I might be wondering what we're actually talking about with all of this. As I prayed earlier, there's lots of thoughts that get that thrown around when we begin to talk about end times. I think what we've read today, we actually see two very specific events being spoken about. Verses 14 through to 23 seems to be talking about one event, and verse 24 to 27 seems to be talking about a second event. Uh, those events being the first one, the destruction of Jerusalem around 70 AD. This is something that commentators like uh, John Calvin, the uh, Puritan Matthew Henry, and many others agree with is what's being spoken about here. The destruction of the temple where Jesus last week when the disciples said to him as they were leaving the temple and sitting on the Mount of Olives looking at the temple, look at what a wonderful building that is, how great it is, how, how glorious are we to build such an eternal, everlasting temple. And Jesus says, you know what? No two of those stones are going to stay standing. No two of those stones that are currently stuck together in their current format will stay that way. Uh, we, I mentioned Josephus recording how long the pillars were, these blocks were. Uh, sort of 20-ish metre long blocks of stone, 13 metre high pillars, a fantastic piece of construction. But it's going to come to an end. So 70 AD where... General Titus is sent by Caesar in Rome to really bring about some big stuff in Jerusalem is his first one. And then the second event being the second coming of Christ. We need to be careful not to conflate these two things. They tie together, but they're not the same thing. In light of that, I think we can draw from there the principle that should be applied to our understanding of this, that the destruction of Jerusalem is not the end of the world, and we know that to be true, but it is the beginning of sorrow, as Jesus said last week, the earthquakes, the wars, the famines, the troubles, they would be the beginnings of sorrow, is what he says at the end of verse 8. And for the Hebrews who live through those events I don't think we can imagine a greater trial or a greater sorrow for them to go through so dealing with this destruction of Jerusalem this is the an event that was coming at the time when Christ spoke this but for us we look back through the uh, vantage point in history and see that it is completed it was not going to be a pleasant day for any Hebrew living in the land at this time and what prompted this vicious and horrendous event taking place was that the Caesar in Rome effectively just got sick of the Jews being stubborn. If you look across the Roman Empire, you might hear, at least in talking about the, the religion in Rome and across the Roman Empire, a, a phrase called Hellenization. Now, it wasn't that Helen was added to the pantheon of gods. Uh, it was basically this idea that all these different religions formed together and became amalgamated as this one thing. 
And quite likely that's why there's not one God in the Roman pantheon, but many for many different aspects of what we see in God's good creation. It's obviously humans distorting that. But for the Jews in Israel, now they tried to have this Hellenization forced upon them to worship this pantheon of false gods, but the Jews said, no, we've got our God and we're sticking to him. Now we see that they've terribly misapplied scripture many times, but they should be credited for not giving aside God at this point and for sticking with the God who had revealed himself to them in the Old Testament. Hardly anywhere else in the Roman Empire do we see evidence of the people having such strength of faith to say, no, we're not taking your false pantheon of gods. We've got God, we trust him, we're going to try and be faithful to him. Add to that the fact that there were multiple uprisings that took place among the Jews. About 150 years before Christ, we read of the, uh, historically of the, the Maccabees. They were a, a region where it rose up and fought against the Roman occupation that was taking place at the time. These sorts of things happened. One of Jesus' disciples, who was probably listening to this at this very moment, Judas the Zealot, was a zealot for Israel. And it quite likely, prior to Christ calling him to follow himself, killed multiple Roman officers of various levels. He was a man who quite likely had literal skeletons in his closet. This is the history. This is where Jesus is living. And at some point in time, 70 AD, Caesar's getting sick of it. So he sends a general called Titus to lead his armies and to besiege Jerusalem. And it is a horrific event. The events recorded there about the heartache for mothers exactly mirrors verse 17. Terrible, terrible thing that took place. Now, while it was a horrible thing, to remember... God's sovereignty as we look at events in history, I'd encourage you to remember at least a broad level view of the book of Acts. Even at the end of Christ's ministry, he said the gospel was to go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There seemed to be a bit of a sticking point in there where most of the church was establishing themselves in Jerusalem still, supporting each other in Jerusalem. God used even these horrific events to catapult the gospel out across the ends of the world. We can't forget God's sovereignty. We can't forget that even horrible events will be used by God for good. And in all the horror, in all the deprivation and degradation that the people would live through from this attack from Rome... We see Christ say that God shortened those days or no flesh would be saved. If God had not saved some, then there would be a great, great many who would never have heard the gospel. For the sake of those who did believe and for the sake of those who would believe, God both allowed for this to happen and shortened the length of this trial. We should praise his name for his care even in the hardest times we go through. We read in here that Jerusalem is to be, to be given over to the Gentiles, to the completion of the Gentiles. 
Now, what's that talking about there? We could, again, have all sorts of ideas. I think Romans 11.25 talks about it best. All of God's elect from outside of Israel, that is Gentiles being saved until that number is complete. So again, there are, there are blessings amid the struggle. God worked even in this great tribulation for the salvation of the souls of his chosen people where not one who he chose to be his own was lost. For the people Jesus is talking to, though, this, this was yet to happen. But it's going to happen for them. Jesus is warning them beforehand, verse 23, but take heed, see, I've told you all things beforehand. But even before we get to verse 23, after the destruction of Jerusalem, perhaps even during the destruction of Jerusalem, and before Christ's return, we see similar deceivers to the ones we mentioned last week, a fortnight ago rather, ones coming who claim to be the Christ or have claimed to have had an extra spiritual encounter with someone who could only be the Christ and only be the Messiah. And look, there he is over there. If you don't go to him, you're going to miss out on life everlasting. Directing people to false places and false people. And we see that today. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that guy who was living in Kingaroy claiming to be the second coming of Christ claiming to be married to Mary Magdalene. And then I shared, I spoke to people who had been there and the destruction that that caused in their lives was absolutely horrendous. But we see it in other examples as well. Think about how many times we hear that the current affair tends to catch these more than anything else. Those claims of the statues of Christ that the Roman Catholic Church cling to Weeping blood is evidence of Jesus having been seen in a particular place. Well, what we see here, Jesus is saying, those things aren't going to happen. If the statues are weeping, maybe it's a problem with the paint, not something super spiritual, extra revelation of Christ, because he's not coming back until he comes back. There's not going to be multiple visits between now and then. He is coming back once. We hear about these things, and they can be tempting they can be alluring and we go that'd be wonderful to have such a tangible expression of the intangible hope that we sometimes feel we cling to in christ how good would it be to hold in our hands and to to shake hands with somebody who we can believe in right now it's tempting it's alluring but these are to deceive If possible, even the elect, Jesus says, so don't be taken in by them. When he comes back, when Jesus comes back, we're going to know what that looks like. Read through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, particularly 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There will be trumpets. We will hear, we will know when Jesus comes back. We don't need to worry that we've missed out because we didn't see these statues with porous uh, paint coming out of them. That's not to be us. We hold to Jesus Christ and his one return. Now again, that might feel like this is just burdensome. But if Jesus hadn't told us these things, how much easier would it be for us to get caught up in them? There are horrible things coming, but Jesus wants his people to be prepared for those things. 
and to be able to hold to him and him alone through those times. There is his care, his love, his compassion for us right on display here. So take heed, Jesus says. Take heed. He's given this warning beforehand so that we can be prepared. And again, the end of verse 13, the one who endures will be saved. Not only is there salvation, but there is an end to these hardships. We see here a huge event starting off this series of sorrows. Of course, really is what we begin with here with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But after that, we read verses 24 to 27, a time of blessed relief. Now, if anyone's read the, um, I should remember the name of it, anyway, book seven of the Chronicles of Narnia. And you can remind me of the name later. I've read these more than enough times. It's horrible. It's disappointing to my parents that I've forgotten this. Sorry, Mum and Dad. At the end of that, we see C.S. Lewis, the last battle, thank you, Tim. Uh, so we see C.S. Lewis recounting the, the falling of stars, the folding up of things. I think it's quite a, a beautiful description of this. And if you get one of those ones with pictures in it, because books with pictures are much better, it's quite, quite spectacular to see. It gives a bit of an insight, I think, as to what this event will look like. We see these things happen. There's the sun will darken, the moon will stop shining, the stars will fall, powers of heaven shaken, but the Son of Man will come with the clouds in power and glory. The same way that Jesus was about to ascend into the clouds because he is about to go to the cross, he is about to be raised back to life. He will be seen by many, he will ascend into the clouds, he will return in the, in the clouds. Uh, Paul writes about this again to reference 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Read verse 13 through to chapter 5 verse 1. Jesus is coming back. There will be a time of turmoil, but the king is coming back to claim what is his. Will there be turmoil between now and then? Yes, because we see there in verse 24, in those days after that tribulation, there will be turmoil. But Christ is coming. There will be an end to the tribulation. There will be an end to the turmoil. God Almighty, from that day on, will allow for no further strife or conflict or hurt or upset among his people in his kingdom. And not only that, we see this beautiful consolidation of God's kingdom in verse 27. The angels will be sent out and they will bring together those who are God's elect. This is a wonderful thing for the Christian to read. Wars and rumours of wars tear people apart. Earthquakes, famine, sorrow, troubles, they tear people apart. We see how traumatic it is for families when somebody decides to walk away from the Christian faith and follow something else because they think it's better. When they get deceived by falsehoods. It tears families apart. It breaks hearts. Those are the things to come, Jesus says, in these days of sorrow, in these end days. 
Christians being dragged before authorities for proclaiming the Gospels. These are the things that break hearts. We might feel as if that breaks the unity that we want to have here, but verse 27, God brings his people together. From the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven, he brings his people together. We will be bound together in wonderful unity because we are bound together to Christ. We look to the future and it it, it very easily looks very bleak. We can't pretend that these things of tribulation don't meet the description given to it of the great tribulation. We can't pretend that's not the case. There are things that will be painful and destructive and look nothing like how we would want them to look. As I said, if you look through the book of Acts, that charge that God gave for the gospel to go out from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the world, and how even a horrible thing such as the destruction of Jerusalem springboarded or catapulted, whatever other adjective we want to use there, catapulted the gospel out even more. Think about how many souls have been saved since those with the gospel were pushed out through the region. Does that change the horror of the tribulation? Absolutely not. But what it does do, what it does do is it reminds us that in all things that are coming, that we have a God who loves us, a God who loves his people, a God who is sovereign, and a God who will be shown to be sovereign. There's a lot of uncertainty in the future. But the certainty that we are shown is with God alone. So don't make other things your refuge. They can't save you and they won't save you. But Christ, who is God, has assured his people of salvation. And just because he's about to go to the cross and leave for a time, it doesn't mean he's not coming back. It certainly doesn't mean he doesn't care. We know the opposite is true. So be confident in God. Trust God. Love God. And obey God for even the hardest days that we might have to live through. He is our rock in all things. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word that we have read and begun to look into today. There is, as we realise every week, so much more to say about it. And while in many ways our hearts might be troubled by the things that we read to come, we thank you that you warn us of these things, that you prepare us for these things. And we pray that your Holy Spirit might continue to equip us to stand firm that we might never, ever stray into thinking that we can create a refuge for ourselves because there is no safe place other than you. Thank you for revealing that to us. And may we grow in our knowledge and love of you, no matter what, in all the days to come. We ask this in Christ's name.